Thanks, Matt. Thanks, team. Good morning, all. How are we doing? Good day. Uh, for those who uh, don't know me or haven't uh, yet had the, or I haven't yet, should, should say it this way, I've not yet had the pleasure of meeting you. Um, as introduced, my name's Bob Bishop, and if you've ever been wondering whether uh, Baptists do have bishops, <laughs> the proof is here, right? Okay? Good day. So that's the end of the ecclesiastical lesson. Um, my wife, Robin, and I are sitting down there. We've uh, recently moved to uh, Wodonga uh, about the uh, beginning of last year. After about uh, 19 years being posted around by the army to various locations uh, as an army chaplain. Um, prior to that, I was a Baptist minister in Wyala for 12 years. Prior to that, I did stuff in the steelworks and electrical electronics area and, and stuff like that. Anyway, that's, that's the bio, as much as you're going to get. I'd like to catch up with you later and, and, and get to know you a little bit more. When I was here last time, I posted here for just the one year, I did preach here. And those who remember that sermon have come to me and told me that they recall it as being, and can we have our, our first uh, slide up, please, if we can get that one? Yeah, that's it. Um, not this one, but that first sermon as the Nerf gun sermon. <laughs> and it is true, I have a very sad hobby of taking children's toys called Nerf guns and highly modifying them. <laughs> and yes, it is also even more sadly true that I did bring one and use it as a sermon illustration. But relax, no shots were fired, no congregational members were injured, it was merely an illustration. And the sad thing about that is that people remember the illustration <laughs> rather than what the sermon was about, which for a preacher it really is, you've missed the mark, right? So I'm sorry, um, I apologise for that, I'll never make that error again and there will be no mention of any pastors, chaplains or otherwise modifying Nerf guns and using them as sermon illustrations. That's not going to happen today. All right, enough of that, moving on. <laughs> Psalm 116 is where we're at today. Um, and as we get into that, let me emphasise before we read the psalm, a couple of things which are really, really common to the psalms. Some of the things that I really love about that. And I'm sure you're going to pick these up and would have already picked these up from some of the rather excellent messages from, from David and from Matt. Now, I haven't heard all of them, but the ones I've heard... I've been pretty good and I've been very, very helpful and very good. And number one, and this is one thing that really does, does inspire me a lot when I read the Psalms, is that they are masterly works of literary art. They really are. They're magnificently written. There's a lot of work, there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of scholarly stuff gone into them. And it's not just in the words and the way they're inspired and the way they mean so much, it's the way they're collected together uh, and, and, and set to music and the, and the whole thing is all there. And I, I can't help this, church, I'm sorry, but I have to, <laughs> it's part of my passion, just to illustrate this with a couple of simple examples. And the first one is the Psalms use a lot of rhyming. Now, you might not have thought that because it doesn't come across in the English really well, but they don't rhyme word sounds... They rhyme phrase meanings. And so they were structured in that way. Sometimes those meanings are similar. Sometimes those meanings are the opposite. 
Sometimes those meanings sort of build in intensity and, and in depth through the psalm and, and through the way they've rhymed together. Let me show you a, a very simple example of that. And that's Psalm 95. Where you see that uh, what I've written there is in the, in the yellow sort of highlighted with the things of you know, coming singing for joy, extolling God with music and song and, and so on. All those, those are similar type meanings. And then there are also rhymed similar meanings on the other side where that praise and that exaltation is directed as to the Lord, to the rock of our station before him and, and, with, and with him. So that's just a simple illustration. I'm not going to go into great detail about that. If you really get inspired by the way the psalm's written, do some research on it. There's some great books written out there uh, and you'll see that. Another one is a simple example and somebody mentioned it this morning here, Psalm 119. And that is, is an acrostic. In other words, a whole 176 verses of this psalm are broken down into 22 blocks of eight. And each of those blocks of eight, the beginning Hebrew letter is the same letter in each of those and going sequentially through the entire Hebrew alphabet. What an amazing thing. That took a lot of effort to write that sort of thing. And by the way, I'm, I'm sort of glad that I'm not preaching on Psalm 119 this morning because by the time I'd read it, we would have time for the benediction. <laughs> so it goes on. And one last one that I will mention, please bear with me this one, and that is the use of chiasm. Now, you might not have come across this before and you're thinking, what on earth is this bloke talking about? Let me put it to you very simply this. Simply, it's a literary device where I said before, yeah, we're talking about rhyming of meanings. So what the, the psalmist will do, and it's not just in the psalms, it's also in some of the, the letters and the writings and you see it in the Gospels as well in some places, is we'll start a thought here and the end thought will rhyme with that. And the second, and then the second to last, and so on and so on till it gets to the centre. And what that literary device does is it points you right to the middle of the focal meaning of that psalm. Psalm 23, for example, is, is an example of, of one of those. I'm not going to go into that in great detail. I just wanted to say that because that is one of the things I really do love about the psalms is the scholarly work and the incredible depth of meaning and the way that they're structured and written. And I guess that probably appeals to the, the engineering background of, of mine. But with that in mind, let's go to Psalm 116. And I've entitled this um, A Cry from the Heart, or probably a series of cries from the heart might be more, more explicit. And like so many psalms, this one really does reflect that concept of intimacy with God right throughout it. So with that in mind, let's read through the psalm. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave overcame me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to the re your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. 
that I might walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. Okay, I probably missed one there, didn't I? <laughs> there you go, sorry about that. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows. Am I, am I caught up that one? Yeah, I have. Right. I need to move this slightly just so I can see the screen at the same time so I know where I am. I apologise. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Now, after all that stuff I mentioned about structure in the Psalms, one thing that really stands out about a Psalm 116 is a comparative, and I say comparative, lack of structure. Okay, I built you right up there and you're expecting this great analysis. And I go, oh, I'm not going to give you one. Because <laughs> it really is a straight out, almost off the cuff, spontaneous cry from the heart. Sure, there is a definite necessity and there is for structure for putting this to music and that is there. But it is a, is a psalm of praise which seems to erupt sort of naturally, sort of spontaneously, sort of freely, straight from the heart. Spontaneously. A cry from the heart. You know, sometimes when I write birthday cards and anniversary cards to my wife I sit down in the study and I pull out the card and I pull out the pen and I sit there for ages <laughs> how can I express my love to my wife what words should I use to do that and I can spend ages and ages and ages sometimes the card goes back in the drawer that night and then it comes out the next night and the next night Robin doesn't know this do you yeah. <laughs> confession time and finally, I get something down. Other times, I'll pull out that card, I'll pick up the pen, and I just write. Hoping that whatever is on my heart is somehow going to come out the end of the pen. And mostly it does. Grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes included sometimes. But I sort of figure that's all part of it, so I just leave them there. You know, sometimes it's just free and sometimes it's spontaneous. Robin, on the other hand, makes beautifully handcrafted cards. And any of you who have come to the Tuesday morning group will see perhaps some of the beautiful work that she does. In fact, I've framed some of it and I've stuck it up in the house. It is, it's just it's absolute artwork. It's, it's gorgeous stuff. She puts a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of love into making the cards that she gives me. Now, I have to also say that on our 45th anniversary, which we just celebrated and exchanged cards, I looked at the card which she'd given me and it was magnificently made. And I opened up and guess what was inside? She'd forgotten to write in it. <laughs> now, the way I'm going to interpret that is this. No words can possibly express. <laughs> so I won't put any there. 
That's the way I take it, and I think that's the way it was meant. So yes, sometimes our worship is presented in well-crafted words, as so many of the Psalms are. But sometimes it's just spontaneous. Sometimes it's just birthed by the love and the joy. You know, sometimes, and you might have felt this in, in, in prayer meetings, where you sit and, and you're in a group, and you're almost hesitant to pray. You're not sure how it's going to come out, whether your words are going to be right or not. And you bumble it out anyway. But it doesn't matter whether the words are beautifully crafted or you falter your way through them. Because everybody else in the room knows, and God most certainly does. And it's from the heart, and it's expressive, and that's the way it is. The right words are not what's important. It's what's from the heart. And you know, sometimes you don't even need to say anything. It's just being there, that intimacy with God. And it's in that intimacy that allows us to blurt out whatever is on our heart, our feelings, without needing a great deal of structure. And that's exactly the way uh, Psalm 116 seems to come, come out. And indeed, the first, um, first line straight off is, I love the Lord. How much more intimate can you get than that, than those three wonderful words, I love you? That's straight from the heart and without any build-up to the psalm, without any sort of prelude to get to that point of I love you, it's bang, first line, I love the Lord, spontaneously, free from the heart. And why? His next line he says, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Now some translations have for he inclined his ear to me. Other translations have, for he turned his ear to me. And one that I perhaps like out of all of those is because he bends down to listen. Simply put, God is actively listening. He's not passively sitting idly by and sort of, you know, might sort of take a little bit of interest if you yell loud enough to him. Not at all. His attention is on us, is straining, if you will, towards us in our direction. He's bent towards us. He's there, attentive, always, willing, listening to hear. Can you imagine this scenario? If, um, if prayers to God were like telephone calls to corporate heaven, you get ring, ring. Oh, I can't do the sound effects, I should. I was going to try and record this, but it didn't work. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hi, you've called the prayer hotline. All of our angels are currently busy at the moment, so please hold the line and the first available duty angel will be with you shortly. Follow a whole lot of hold music. Your prayer is important to us, so please hold the line. <laughs> More music. You have progressed in the queue and you're now 364,592 in line. More music. Did you know that you could submit prayer requests on www.godreallycaresaboutyou.org? That particular bit was inspired by four, two hours that I lost this week. Uh, <laughs> not on a prayer request, I assure you, but to some other corporation. God, thankfully, thank God, is not like that. He is so willing, so attentive, listening out, willing, ready and willing to respond 
at our slightest inclination. That slightest whisper, as is one of those songs that we sung this morning. And you don't need to have the nice prepared words. It's just let it flow. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. You know, another really common uh, thing about the Psalms, and it's throughout them, is that they're non-specific when it comes to situation and circumstance. And what that does is it allows the reader or the worshipper to insert their own particular situation and circumstance into that psalm. The end result is that a a psalm which was written for the, the public worship of all Israel becomes personal and poignant to the individual worshipper because they can then insert their own in here. We can identify it with it and have personal significance. Now, when preaching, I've heard it had said it's the, uh, it's the art of preaching to everybody in particular. All right? Now, you might have had that experience yourself where you're sitting there in church and you're surrounded as you are by a whole bunch of other people. Yet it seems to you right there and right then that God is just speaking to you. And it's also happening to the person alongside you. And that's the way it should be. Because God speaks through his word to us. And while the preacher or the psalmist or whatever might be giving a wide spread, by using this technique, it narrows it right down. And God speaks to us in our lives, in our situations and our circumstances. And that's very much uh, the nature of Psalm 116, as it is with many others. And that comes evident when the psalmist then goes from that, that cry of uh, spontaneous worship into a cry of, of anguish from the heart. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And it doesn't matter that we don't know what caused that distress or that anguish or that sorrow or how close to death or whatever the reasons were behind that. Because we can relate to those feelings. Each of us, in each of our situations, have those experiences in life that cause us to doubt, that cause us to fear, that cause us to worry, that cause us grief, cause us anxiety. And so we can relate as can all the others who worship together with that psalm. And yet another common literary device used throughout the psalms, and I love this, and I know Matt, you did a great sermon on this, I really appreciate it, and it's one of the things that really, really does inspire me and uh, makes me just stand in awe of God, is that they're raw and disarmingly honest when it comes to expressing the emotions of the human heart. And that's perfectly all right and natural to do so. And I do love that amongst the Psalms because it takes away a whole bunch of pretense, takes away a whole bunch of fakery. The psalmist recognises that the heart is open before God anyway. I mean, where can I go to hide from God? I go up there, he's up there. I go down there, he's there. If I hide over there, I can't get away from God. So why even try? It's pointless. No need for fake, pretend spirituality or any reason to do so. God sees straight through to the heart. Let me introduce you to the typically expected normal Christian family. 
Aren't they magnificent? Aren't they wonderful? You know, all happy smiles, they're in perfect health, standing outside their most wonderful church, Bible under arm, boy and girl, you know, son and daughter, they're just clearly so in love with each other. My goodness. Those kids never argued in the back seat of the car on the way to church, did they? <laughs> that husband and wife have never had a bad word between them, have they? Oh, I tell you. You know, we stand on very strong ground when we talk about this bit about intimacy and expressing reality before God and not fakery because it's right through the Psalms and it's right through, through Scripture. And I find that this particular picture, uh, this image, unreal and a downright almost offensive because it's just not representative. If this is what Christianity is right like and this is what my family is supposed to be like, I've failed dismally and I suspect all of you have as well. But the good news is we don't have to pretend. God loves us particularly as we are and wants us to be honest with him, no matter how raw or how hard that expression of what's in our heart is like. God is not a God of the pretend, he's a God of the real. So let's act like it. You know, what people need to see is not that image of what Christians are like outside the church. They need to see real people. People who live in a real world, who go through real issues, impacted by the realities of life like everybody else is. Real joys, real sorrows. But living a transformed life through the power of the Holy Spirit who makes a real difference in our lives and the way we live and the way we express ourselves. And that is a personal testimony that people need to see, not that sort of image. And the psalmist then goes on to give that, that cry of personal testimony. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, you saved me. A heartfelt cry of gratitude and thanks again, spontaneously from the heart, honest about the anguish, and honest about God's salvation. God not only listens and hears, but he responds and he saves. This is my cry of testimony before God. God is gracious, God is righteous, God saves. This is a God who need not be feared or hidden from. His desire is not to bring judgment and condemnation when we cry to him about our issues but to bring light, to bring life, to bring salvation, to bring healing. He's a God who brings salvation to all who will call upon him. So if that's the case, if that's the testimony, how do we respond to God? And again, the psalmist here has that heartfelt cry. How do I respond? Whom, what shall I return to the Lord? for all his goodness to me. You know, the psalmist certainly knows, as do we, that there is nothing that we can do or give or offer to God that 
it's going to be in any way some sort of payment for what he's done for us. That's simply outside the realms of reality. Nor does God want or expect anything like that. That is not his nature. Yet, and this is the yet, there must be some response, surely. If this is our great God, and if this is the great salvation he has delivered us, it's not just, is it? It's got to have some response. It must touch, it must move. There shall be something that flows from that. And the psalmist's response, well, there's a few things that I've picked out of the psalm. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. I will serve you just as my mothers did. Mothers, here's some encouragement for you there. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you. So that was some of his responses here to what I will do then in response to this great love and this great compassion and this great salvation that God has given. And I was somewhat reminded, I think, a fair bit of um, that uh, amazing hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and his words in that, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a gift, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Now this is not a, this is again a, a cry from the heart. It's a natural response to our God who loves us so much and has done so much for us. It's not a law, like a, a debt to be repaid. It's not like a hex debt. You, know? you can't use a whole bunch of good works to get yourself right. God's already done that. It's not a burden to bear. It's a freedom of life in Christ to be lived. It's a life transformed by the power of the Spirit to be lived in the power of the Spirit. This is our personal testimony. I'm sure it's your personal testimony as well. Yes, faith is personal and according to David last week, it's also like a toothbrush. I've never heard that one before. I don't know whether he's used it here before or not. But, but unlike a toothbrush, faith is also corporate and public. It doesn't stay on its own as personal. It's not something we hide within ourselves as a personal little possession. Let's remember that the Psalms were written indeed for public worship by the people. So it is also, the psalmist has got here, a cry of public commitment. I will fulfil my vows in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. So it's got a context here. It's not just personal, it's also corporate, it's expressive and it's out there. It's lived out in public and in corporate worship together. It's lived out in a community of believers. It's lived out in every reaction, interaction and relationship we have and with every person we rub shoulders with in whatever aspect of our lives that we encounter them. And it should influence and direct the way those interactions happen. It impacts upon our lives in such a way. And it should be visible and it should be obvious to those around us because that's what's changed in our hearts that expresses in our lives. In the words of Jesus recorded in Mark 15, 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp and put it on, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so it is. That cry that started off as, I love you, Lord, because you heard my voice. And in anguish I cried out to you, you heard me and you saved me. I will fulfil my vows, but I'm going to express that in public and openly before all. Now you might have noticed, or you might not have noticed, I don't know, but I've sort of skipped over one little line in that psalm. I might have left it there deliberately, not because I wanted to engage with it, because I wanted to leave this one to last. And it's there in verse <coughs> 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. You know, when death comes, it brings a great deal of sadness, grief and sorrow to those that are left behind. Certainly do not want to minimise that. That is the reality. Death is, is a tough time. But our Lord is pleased to welcome us into his presence with great joy. It's here that our intimacy with God reaches its closest point, I guess, isn't it? There in heaven with him. You can't pretend there. <laughs> Everything's open and laid bare. There we are intimate in him, with him. And there is also his desire for intimacy with you fulfilled. God loves you here in this life right here and right now and he desires to continue that post into the life to come. What an amazing thing. I'm sort of reminded, I guess, of the words of Paul when he said, for me to live is Christ. Right here, right now, my life is in Christ and I live this life to the full where I am. God is with me through it all, in it all, with it all, around it all and that is my life. And it's fantastic. Yet, to die is gain. Where death is your sting, where is your victory? Christ has overcome. We have eternal life to look to. The intimacy with God forever to be enjoyed. What a wonderful thing that is. Psalm 16, 116. Spontaneous praise and worship from the heart. Let it flow, let it be. If it's anguish, if it's distress, then let that cry be heard from God. Let that personal testimony be known and be heard, not just in your own life, but to others around. Demonstrate that publicly. An expression of intimacy with God, an intimacy right here and intimacy to follow. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you've heard our voice. You've heard our cry for mercy. You've reached, you've touched, and you've brought us your great salvation. How can we not respond in worship and praise and offering our lives to follow your ways and to your will? And while we enjoy and in times endure in this life, we look forward to that time of knowing you and experiencing you in fullness. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, mate.